uh, most amazing concept of all. Malcolm has worked at DayJet for the last three years, and in this fast-paced industry, he's an old-timer. He doesn't look that old. <laughs> His responsibilities at DayJet in DayJet's uh, government and community affairs include understanding states' priorities for aviation at the strategic level and identifying key stake, uh, stakeholders and partners to develop DayJet's on-demand air transportation services. A large portion of Malcolm's work focuses upon accelerating the early adoption of next-gen technology to um, develop airspace infrastructure and enhance DayJet operations. And as John mentioned, NextGen is the acronym for the next generation of air transportation system, air traffic control system. It actually goes beyond air traffic control. It's quite amazing. Uh, Malcolm's multinational national experience includes work in Europe and the Middle East. The core of his work focused on large-scale public-private partnerships. Malcolm's project management experience is being applied at DayJet to ensure that strategic planning is efficiently translated into sustainable and efficient operations. Malcolm. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, I'd like to thank FDOT and the State of Florida for letting us have the opportunity to tell you about what DayJet does. And for that, I need to get you into that presentation, which hopefully this is where it, uh, final part. Yeah. Okay. So. Before I start, can I ask, how many people in this room have chartered an aircraft or been on a chartered aircraft? Okay, so you don't, you know, impersonate the swiveling heads. Probably about 10% max. What I'm about to tell you is that the future, what people envisioned, and we all try and do it, be it the lottery numbers, what the future use of the airspace is going to be, what Disney believe is going to be the future house, or even the monorail going through the hotel. We all have a vision of what that's going to be. But today, DayJet is happening. And that draws upon what John's been telling you about, the strategic view of what infrastructure development has brought about, the need to improve that infrastructure, and essentially... The platform we use is a very light jet. It weighs less than 6,000 pounds. You could put six of those wingtip to wingtip inside the wingspan of that 380. Um, I was fortunate enough to um, be going through Heathrow a couple of weeks, about 6.15 in the morning, and the Singapore Airlines 380 came in, and I thought the world was ending. <laughs> Literally, it was so quiet, and all of a sudden it was there. It is the most amazing machine. But then again, I also think that the VLJ is. And what I'd like to do is steal the zapper from John and show you that is our vision. Very simple, very direct, and no pun intended, but it is point-to-point -point travel between markets that are hard to reach or underserved. We are not interested in Miami International, Hartsfield, O'Hare, LAX, JFK, etc. We are interested and our vision is based upon sustainable mobility. And by sustainable, 
I mean both economically and environmentally. We want to try and break this, this link where economic growth is inextricably linked to footprints, the growth of footprints, and we believe we can do that. And so, a little bit about Dayjet. We founded in 2002. Um, we started staring into our crystal ball at that point. We are in Boca Raton, but it's that bottom part that it's attainable, a mode of transportation that many people don't have access to, and that's why I asked that question. Many people have never been in a business jet or a small aircraft that they chartered. And that is one of the things that when you look into the future, it isn't just a technology-based um, solution. It is a case of adoption by the users and that demand that you've identified. And so, quick snapshot. We started in 2002. We launched, sorry, John. We launched uh, last October. And we were only in Florida. And our five markets, very quickly, were Boca Raton, Lakeland, Gainesville, Tallahassee, and Pensacola. Not one of them is an MIA. Not one of them is a Tampa International. We were connecting hard-to-reach and underserved communities. We've now, as of today, got 61 markets in seven states in the southeast. The southeast was our launch region. Dayjet was designed to be a scalable solution for regionable, regional even, air connectivity. And that is what we set about to do. We are a member-based company. You have to be a member to fly with Dayjet. Um, you can't just walk up to us because there's lots of reasons for that. One is we are not a scheduled airline. We're an on-demand airline. And there are other flavors of on-demand airlines. And I think it was Bill saying or John saying that you need a number of companies in an industrial sector in order to give it credibility. And so what we do is when you fly with Dayjet, we have to check you through the no-fly list. You do not go through a metal detector. You're generally going through general aviation airports. We have to screen you to come on the aircraft, but also it gives our users comfort. And that's one of the reasons why our aircraft, our VLJ, is certified to have one pilot. We fly two pilots because we took this fuselage on the road through about three or four states, and people said, wow, but I want to see two guys in front of me because they'd never been on a small business jet. And so what we do is we make sure that people are checked on that TSA list all the time. And many of you probably know this, but the TSA list changes and is updated Frequently, it's a dynamic, dynamic database. So you can't come in as a good guy and all of a sudden, whoops, it's constantly changed. And we check you against that. So that's been our rate of growth. That's the context. Many of you here will be very well aware of that. The bad news is that that doesn't take account of 2008. And that is where analysts have done their bit of gazing into the future. And we all know that come September, many of the regional airlines have said they are pulling out of small markets, even medium-sized markets, for many reasons. Some we've seen already, the fuel, the fact that the aircraft they have are fuel guzzlers, that they're not economic, and as we started, they're not sustainable in that market. So that is the view of what's going to happen. Now, 
That's the challenge. Quite simply, people need to do business. You came here for this um, seminar, for this conference. You needed to do business. And perhaps the major point here I'd like to make is there. There are 5,000 airports in this country. Very few of them are utilized near full capacity. And yet they have absorbed an incredible amount of dollars, attention by the management, and yet they could do so much more for the community. But, as we started off, many of the community don't see that facility, that arrangement of infrastructure as being for them. It's for those who want to perhaps have their gin and tonics at 30,000 feet. One of the things we have to do is make sure that people see the airports, the general aviation airports, as public portals for transport, not just for a small select group. It takes two days to do a business trip. Many people have two-hour business meetings, project managers. We are geared towards those people who need to have efficient use of their time, they don't have access to their own business jet, or they've got to drive for four, five, six, seven hours, or they go via a hub. That's the level of person we are looking at. And so I thought I'd put that in um, simply because we've just opened the Orlando market, and it wasn't planned around the conference, but it's, it's fairly good that um, we did. That gentleman there, you can see his scenario, but it's the fact that he's lost faith in the airports and he thought his car was the only option. The end of that article, and I didn't put it in because it's too much of a uh, um, sort of Dayjet love fest, but he actually said, I'm married to Dayjet because we saved him so much time. We have one gentleman who has used us 50-plus times now. He used to drive from Boca to Gainesville. We save him nine and a half hours Every day he travels. Therefore, you also get a pretty good view of the interior. That's what we're looking at. We have three seats. Two pilots, three seats. It's designed by BMW, and it is a taxi. We don't have a uh, restroom. Sorry, I was lost for words. Um, we don't have a restroom. We don't have uh, drinks. Because our sectors, we fly, are between 200 and 600 miles. Our flights are one hour, one and a half hours maximum. And that is a very, very comfortable environment. People can work in it on their laptops. And it's also a pretty cool place just to sit and watch the world go by and get to point to point where you want to do business. Stephanie, whoops, sorry about that. Stephanie Kopoulousis, she made that statement back in June, and I was following on a presentation after her, and I thought I couldn't have summed it up better. We all make that decision. I don't know how you got to this conference, but I know all of you will have made that decision, a trade-off between time and money to get here. We all do it. And that is what Dayjet tried to assimilate when it set off staring into the distance. How do we give people the ability to trade the value of their time against a cost. And with that, we did it a couple of ways, through the enablers. They're like VLJs. You know all about those now. However, Dayjet is a scalable business, and there are many, many moving parts. 
in our business, ranging from compliance, the FAA rules and regulations. You've all read about, you know, aircraft have to be inspected at a certain time. Pilots can only fly so many hours. That has to be complied with. To the other end of the continuum, which is the ultimate variability of customer demand. And the only way you can manage those resources and assets safely, efficiently, and profitably is with software. And that's why when you saw when we were founded and you saw when we launched, there was a five-year gap. Um, we spent $20 million building a proprietary software system that takes all those moving port parts and optimizes the solutions on a real-time basis because that's the only way you can do it. There was another reason we were delayed, and it actually comes in with Bill's point of um, cruise missiles flying around um, Pensacola. The first engines that went on the uh, Eclipse were actually made by the same people who made cruise missiles, um, and they weren't quite up to it. Uh, so we had to change engine uh, manufacturer to Pratt & Whitney. But it's the fact, the real reason we took five years to build a management system that can either manage the 28 aircraft we have today or the 1,400 we have on order um, on total. We have 300-plus designated for the southeast. So that's you've seen the picture in the bottom right. I've told you the story about the two pilots, but it's the fact that this is a very quiet taxi. That is it. But as I started... We also want to make sure that people don't just have the air connectivity. Communities want, communities want to be connected both as points of origination and destination for their economic development. But what we want to do is also make sure that the footprint, as I said, is as low as it can be. And therefore, it is quieter than all jets, all turboprops, and most engine props as well. And Boca Raton is our base, and the residents of Boca Raton are very um, aware of the noise in their part of the world. And we haven't had one complaint, and it's actually one of our main bases where our aircraft reposition twice a day. Um, we're working closely with them, and some of the stuff I'm going to come on to about next gen, there are three sensors at the end of each runway. We, don't, we only trigger two of them. It's, you'll see us, but you won't hear us. And that's not a cliche. It is so quiet, both internally and externally. And the fact that it has low emissions is the fact that the fuel burning of this aircraft, it sips it. And that's good news from an economic point of view, because we have been affected by the fuel costs, but not as badly as some other airlines. And so, how do we do it? Well, those of you who chartered an aircraft you've chartered the aircraft. With Dayjet, you only have to pay for the seat, and that's it. You don't pay for the aircraft. We don't charter an aircraft. It doesn't matter if you use one seat or all the seats. You only pay for the aircraft, and the price of that depends on your flexibility to travel, and I'll explain that in a little de more detail later on. We are on, sorry, we are on demand. That's part 135. And on-demand is actually a way of transport that many communities are realizing they're never going to get scheduled service. Everyone says, we want scheduled service. People are contracting. You've already seen it. They're not going to get it in this day and age. But there is an initiative that actually funds from the USDOT called the Small Community Air Service Development Program. And 
there is an initiative going on where these smaller communities are forming consortiums and actually raising awareness that on-demand travel, such as Dayjet, such as Satsair, such as Imaginaire, such as Linear Air, who actually have a per-plane model rather than a per-seat, but the overall umbrella is on-demand travel. Because on-demand gives us the flexibility to use that aircraft in another sector rather than just say this has to go at 9 o'clock in the morning whether it's full, empty, or whatever. We have the dynamic capability to apply our resources. So on-demand travel is a way that smaller communities are seriously considering their air connectivity options. And you can see the price point, but more about the price point. Where do we actually... The price point is this. If you, if you say you can start there, but you have to be there by that point... That's your price. It's a low price ticket. That's the length of your travel time. If, however, you said, no, I'm in a meeting here, uh, I've, I've got to work here, and I can't get to the airport until here, and I also have to be there by 1 o'clock, then you've got a much tighter window, and it's a higher price ticket. Because by doing that, you have reduced the potential of us getting someone else on that aircraft. However, when we quote, and this is what took five years of modeling, when we quote, be it 30 days or four days in advance, we stick to the price. That's it. You have made the cost-value decision against your time. And so, on the web today, and if you take anything away from here, please, have a look at dayjet.com. Subscribe. You don't have to be a member to subscribe. Play around with the pricing. We need four things. Where do you want to start? Where do you want to finish? What's the earliest you can depart? And what's the latest you can arrive? This is your, these are your terms. And there are three price examples here. But our optimization software will fly in that sector. We will fly that person there. And because this person gave us, said, I can travel any time in there, and any time in there, that meets the criteria of that travel. And one of the coolest things that happened since we launched was getting three people on an aircraft. They didn't know one another. They flew from Tallahassee to Boca. Now, each one of those would have driven independently. That's what they said. We did an after, we, we've been doing after-service interviews. They said they would have driven. Apart from the time, look at the emissions that they would have thrown out independently. And what you can do is when you go on the website, you just move the sliders, and the price changes automatically. So, oops. Where do we do it? You've already seen the map of Florida. Well, we've extended outside Florida, and I'm going to make this as, very sim as simple as possible because I know we're short of time. The blue and the red. Blue are day ports. You can fly from, to and from any position in the network to a day port. That's it. A day port, you can fly to and from anywhere. So we have 14 locations Pensacola, you can fly to and from anywhere. Tallahassee, to and from anywhere. Same with St. Petersburg. Orlando, obviously. A day stop is a lower level of service. And a day stop, you can only fly to or from a day port. Today, John flew from Montgomery straight down here to Orlando. How else would you do that journey? John flew himself down here. How else would you do that journey? Drive forever? Or, I'm not sure if you could go via Atlanta, actually. 
Probably yeah, and perhaps lose the will to live, but, you know. Um, but that aside, um, don't worry, it's one of my favorite spots. Sorry if there's anyone here from Hartsfield. But, um, so that is what a day port is and a day stop. We have 61 locations. Now, it's perhaps summarized a bit better there. You can see where we fly. You can fly from the blue to and from the red but you cannot fly red to red. That's it. So we have a number of communities at the moment who are saying, hang on, it's great. We can go to 14 places here, sorry, to and from 14 locations, but we need that greater air connectivity as a community. And one community in particular we're working with at the moment, Fort Pierce on the Treasure Coast, they are mobilizing the EDC, the Chamber of Commerce, their commissioners, to demonstrate there is a demand in their community for air connectivity. And they want to elevate their level of service to a day port. And this is a snapshot because that may come in, it may go, you've got to, oh, it does stay, good. As of last week, and the reason that was used to be an in and out, as of last week it was, we've just started flying to the Bahamas. And that is a considerable... Uh, let's say, attraction to a number of these communities to get to and from the Bahamas. So, I'm afraid there's a lot, of, a lot of theory to this, but this is pretty straightforward. In road sense, the interstate highway network makes up 1% of the roads. It carries 25% of all traffic. With the airports, John's already said there are 517 commercial airports those 35 OEP carry 75% of all passengers in the States. You can see how that segment there of airports accommodates the by far greatest amount of traffic in real numbers. However, these people still want to fly, but not at a level that fills an A380. They have niches of demand that need to be accommodated. And what we did is the software takes these small parts of demand and aggregates them. Instead of Miami International, sorry, to Atlanta, the flight from Orlando to Savannah, from Valdosta to Pascagoula, Tuscaloosa to, my, to Naples, and we aggregate those. But that is where the business we're after sits. And so that's the long tail. And that is reality. That were, those are our operations up until the end of June. Connecting all those points. Florence to give or take, mm, perhaps Boca Raton. You've got New Orleans down to Punta Gorda. You have options for travel that didn't exist before. And there are, what happens is people think, I'll drive, I fly by a hub, or, and this is the scary part for economic development, they don't travel at all. And so what we've done is developed a niche. Day not, day, day not, day jet is not a panacea. There are times when you will use day jet, there are times when you won't. But I flew from Boca to Macon, mm, give or take, yep, that was my journey. But I went via Naples because a lady who was an auditor 
said, I didn't want to go last night. I wanted, the, I wanted to be with my family. She was still at her desk at quarter past nine that morning. And because there's no such thing as a return ticket as day jet, we'll bring you back. But some people say, well, time isn't as important. And I think she was actually going to fly, uh, drive from Macon up to Atlanta and down to Naples when Naples had commercial air service. They don't have commercial air service. They spent a million dollars at the beginning of this year, and their commercial air service lasted two and a half months. Dayjet doesn't look for subsidies. We do look for assistance with outreach for marketing, absolutely. But we want, again, to say to these people who haven't flown with us, this is a viable option for us. Because once people use us, they say, okay, I see how it fits in with my business need or the community's need for bringing customers to us. And so that is the reality. And that is what we actually do. <laughs> we actually put people on an aircraft. We actually do carpool at 20,000 feet, and it's really cool to see in real time. So that's the operational side. But then the final part of my presentation, you've been hearing lots of things about next gen. And there is a bit of a running joke that, you know, the reason I got involved because then he said next gin. You know, sorry about that. <laughs> but that aside, um, we are looking at addressing issues of safety, capacity, and congestion to manage the airspace. Now, ironically, most of the places we fly in, you've already seen where we fly, that is not crowded airspace. But... There are certain areas we go into, such as the Miami airspace terminal area, such as having to go through areas like Orlando, where we have to tunnel through or get vectored around. All these have implications for fuel burn, the time of our customers, and emissions. So what we did, June the 6th, we are delighted that we've just announced a five-year project with Florida Department of Transport, the FAA Embry and Embry-Riddle. And we are planning to accelerate the implementation of NextGen, but not just for Florida, because, because this is not doing what it's supposed to, because there is a need, and there is a need everywhere. And the whole, on the memorandum of understanding within the second or third sentence, it says, is a prelude to rolling out to other parts of the country, the other states. It's to accelerate this way of managing the expected capacity of 1 billion people, 1 billion embarkations by 2016. That's what the FAA said in February in Washington. That's a pretty significant number. And the reason, if you like, in a macro level it needs to help, many of you, and I'm very pleased that this is a transportation conference, because you can all see the way that modes of transportation come in and then there is a need, not at the end of a transportation mode, but halfway through. And this is where we are today. And these three terms, and I'm sorry it's more acronyms, but GPS you know. The GPS you have in your car uses satellite-based navigation. RMP is called Required Navigation Performance, but essentially it's very, very precise navigation. And the third part, ADSB. Automatic Dependent Surveillance Broadcast. Well, there you go. Cunningly disguised as a way to have very accurate surveillance. That is what those three terms are about. And therefore, 
This is the project. Five-year project. We had, about two weeks ago, Bill was there in Embry-Riddle. We put together what we were going to do. And we are going to make sure this ability for accurate surveillance is accelerated. You can see the state, state's role here. Economic strategies. The state wants to know the economic impact of this new way of looking at the airspace and managing the airspace. Dayjet, we've got the aircraft. We are flying in to these underserved markets, but we're also flying in to a number of markets which are really busy, like the Miami Metroplex, like the Orlando Metroplex. And we want to show not only that we can operate there, but also that airports that have invested so much already in their infrastructure by a small incremental uh, increase in investment, they can have levels of operation which they can rely upon. They're not going to be closed down for weather because all their navigation aids are either in the cockpit of the VLJs or they're up in space. They aren't going to get affected by weather. They're much lower cost to manage. That is a very boring slide, but I wanted to tell you that we have a five-year project to show what can be done for next gen. The red, we've done, but these are what we're trying to do. We are trying to show how we can operate within air traffic control. The, foot, the baseline footprints, noise, emissions. Boca has some very cool software, uh, sorry, measuring equipment, which we are going to utilize. We're also utilizing the sources of um, Florida Institute of Technology. This is a multi-institutional uh, involvement project. We are drawing upon the skills in the state to actually deliver the metrics, which will help other states fast track to gaining this access to next gen. And again, going straight through to the end, we are doing modeling upon modeling and comparing theory against practice. This other particularly tiresome slide at this time of the afternoon, but this was shown for this reason. Bill Ashbaker leads this working group, and these are very important deliverables. Safety. I start. It's safety. That's what people want to know. The people who came on the mock-up of the aircraft, they didn't like the colors. It wasn't the seat. How safe is it? How safe am I? So, the environment, obviously there. The fact that workload, efficiencies, cost, we want to make sure also that this message is given out easily to state aviation planners, to consultants, to airport directors. And that's why here the transitioning management is going to be a next-gen syllabus that lets the stakeholders have an easy way of implementing this technology into their world. Not in a cookie-cutter sense, because people do not want to be told that you're the same as this part. What they do want to be told is, these are the tools you need to consider, and you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Now just take these and apply them to your part of the world. So, that's the Metroplex solution. We've got aircraft coming in from Europe, coming down from New York. Meanwhile, we're flying from Tallahassee straight into here. But it isn't just air taxi, because that's one of the fears. Oh, more aircraft. That's it. We're going to add to the problem. We're not adding to it. We believe we're the solution. There are other stakeholders, such as just north of Miami, the Coast Guard. If they had the ability for this high-level surveillance and incredibly fine levels of precision navigation, 
Imagine how you could interlace all these stakeholders safely and efficiently. Here, when we say passing, actually we're the passee because we don't want to hold things up. You do not want to vector around. We want to make sure that you can be passed very easily, step to the side, and come back on track, on route. And also, here, whoops, this comes back to the idea that Punta Gorda, this airport here, they've actually increased all their infrastructure for not only next-gen capability for on-demand carriers, but they had a Skybus operation in there. The Airbuses that came in, they loved it. They had all the operational capability that you would expect with probably PBI, sorry, um, Palm Beach. And yet, that was in their small part of the world. So, this is an example, just that RMP, forget what it means, but what it does mean in, in terms of the nomiculture, but it does mean at the moment we do this. This is where we're getting to. This is the work that the next-gen implementation project is setting out to achieve. And just to show that this is not really Starship Enterprise stuff, there's a small airline you might have heard of. It's called Southwest. Southwest, on every single sector they're flying, every place they land, they are putting in these private precision navigation routes because they save hundreds of gallons of fuel per flight and obviously the emissions, the CO2, the NOx. But that is why they're doing it, okay? And that is what we're doing, and that's what we're trying to promote that all the airlines do it. Finally, a summary. Safety, obviously. Capacity. It's much easier to put capacity into airspace than it is into roads. Return on investment, already an incredible amount of investment in public infrastructure. We can, we can leverage that and give levels of air connectivity through on-demand service that are before have been unobtainable. The fuel, straightforward. Emissions, um, how many of you have been on aircraft and you come into land and you drive and you fly a bit more and then you drop a bit more and then you fly? And That's generally the way it's done. Very inefficient. Imagine if you ended up at the top of your flight and you said, okay, I'm landing here, and in one smooth continuous descent approach, letting gravity do the work, you just come in. The fuel savings are unbelievable. I was fortunate enough to be in Louisville last week. UPS have invested in NextGen. Between 11 o'clock in the evening and 2.30 in the morning, they land 100 aircraft, 757s, 767s, 747s, and 100 miles out of Louisville, they're all coordinated and they all let gravity do the work. And they have their separations, not by distance, but by time. Because of ADSB, they can all see each other. And as this one slows down to land, the one at the end of the tail slows down. But gravity does the work. They save hundreds upon hundreds of gallons. And therefore, this is it in a nutshell. We're going to have communication digitally. We're going to have the ability to navigate if precisely precise surveillance. These, it's far too technical to end a conference on, but these definitely not. The footprint, the expansion, and most communities, they want the economic opportunities. They do not want to be left out because they know what it means not to be connected. And we offer a choice for that connection. And with that, 
Thank you very much. Thank you, Malcolm. Well, unfortunately, uh, we went beyond our limits of time a little bit, so I don't think there's going to be any time for questions. Unless somebody has a real burning issue they want to ask about. Yes. 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 Yes.